Today, as you know, we're, I'm very honored and uh, grateful that Professor Patrick Royal is here today. The lecture um, is entitled Dreyfus, Vichy, De Gaulle, Chirac, Reflections on the French Jewish Malays. Uh, Professor Weil is a, he holds a, an appointment as a senior researcher at the French National Research Center, or the CR, CNRS in Paris. He is the senior transatlantic fellow to the German Marshall Fund of the United States to advise on issues of immigration and integration, and he's held this position since 2005. He is also the director of the Center for the Study of Immigration, Integration, and Citizenship Policies, or the CEPIC at the University of Paris uh, 1, uh, or at the Sorbonne. Um, he's worked internationally. He's um, well published, as, as you know, in, for example, 2003, he served as, uh, the French, on the French Presidential Commission on Secularism, which was established by Jacques Chirac, and led to many uh, policy uh, um, uh, resolutions that were adopted, including models of integration in France. Um, he's been a visiting scholar at the Woodrow Wilson International Center in the United States, and was a visiting uh, scholar at Harvard University. Uh, just sort of hot off the press, he has a new book entitled Liberté, Egalité, uh, Discrimination, uh, L'Identité Nationale, with regard to l'histoire, or ident national identity with regard to history. And he's touched on many issues of citizenship and integration um, over his illustrious career and I think it's really an honor that he'll, he's here today to speak about very important historical issues with certainly contemporary implications. So, Professor Bell. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for your invitation and introduction. Uh, I apologize for my, for my very Frenchy English. I hope you will understand me. Um, and I will try to introduce, to, to speak about the, the situation in France toward the, uh, from the point of view of uh, uh, the Jewish community, if we speak about that, of, from the point of view of some Jews who feel some malaise toward the, the their country and the, the policy of states sometimes and the interaction they can have with some other groups of people living in the country. Uh, let me start by, by pointing what can appear as a, uh, as a paradox. You might have heard that, especially a few years ago, at the moment of the rise of the Second Intifada, you had some physical attack on Jews uh, that sometimes even led to one, one death a young, from a young, of a young uh, Jew who was tortured by a group of crazy uh, adolescents. And there was the expression of fear from the part of some Jews, uh, fear for their security and for the future in the country. At the same time, uh, have, especially uh, after the, the riots we are, we are faced 
in the fall of 2005, after the passage of the bill uh, that prevent any uh, high schoolers to wear conspicuous religious sign in public school, there have been some international comparative study about the degree of tolerance among different European democracies and in comparison with some other uh, states, including the uh, United States and some Arab countries, Muslim countries, etc. And all the polls that have been made, all the data that has been collected, shows that it is in France that you have this the highest degree of friendly interaction between groups uh, and the highest degree of cultural integration. Let me give you some some examples. To the, for example, the, there was a, a study made in 2006 by the Pew Research Center based in Washington DC across 15 different countries. There was a question, do you feel yourself first a citizen of your country or a Muslim or a Christian? In the UK, and I will compare France and the UK only because in Germany or in Spain, many of the Muslims are not citizens because they are... In Germany, the citizenship law will prevent them to become citizens until 2000. And in Spain, they are from very recent uh, arrival in the country. 7% of the Muslims in the UK feel they are first citizen, and 81% feel they are first Muslim. In France, where half of the Muslims are foreigners by law, 42%, and it's the highest percentage by, by any mean, feel first French, 46 first Muslim. Let me quote you the U.S. because it's interesting uh, for the Christian. The Christian in the U.S., 48% feel first citizen of the United States, 42 first Christian. And if you take France, the Christian, 88 first French, 14 first Christian. So you have some, some here you have a trend that we come back to. Now let, let me give you another answer, description of answer to another question. Do you have a favorable view of Muslim, Christian and Jews? So let's speak about the Jews. Among the global population, United States, 77% have a favorable view of the Jews. France, 86. UK, 74. Germany, 69. Spain, 45. Among the Muslims, do you have a favor favorable view of the Jews? 71% of the French Muslims have a favorable view of the Jews. 38% of the German Muslims have a favorable view of the Jews. 32 in the UK and 28 in Spain. So it's, France is the only country where a majority of Muslims have a favorable view of the Jews, and not a small majority because it's 71%, and the other European country is around 30%, that have only 30% only who have a favorable view of the Jews. So how 
Can you explain the malaise? Sometimes the attack, and this, this, this picture, finally, which is quite terrible, if you take global data, because of course, even if you have 71% of the Muslims who have a favorable view of the Jews, you have still 29% who don't have this favorable view, and among these 29,000%, you might have some radical ones. And, let me add here a footnote, France is a very interesting country for now and the future because we are the country of Europe with the largest Muslim community, the largest Jewish community, the largest Buddhist community, and the largest atheist or agnosticist community, if I may say that. Because we are with the Czech Republic, the European country, where the atheism and agnosticism is the more developed. So you have a, a sort of very interesting and complex picture of, of different attitudes toward religion and a very uh, diverse, uh, uh, a very big diversity of groups, of religious groups. So let's try to interpret this complex situation. As you have noticed, what is quite clear among the Catholic, among the Christian and among the Muslim is that in France you have first of all a strong influence, a strong influence of the public culture, of a strong affiliation to the state, based in my opinion, I will try to base it on facts, on two factors. First of all, the tradition of secularism, which is set very particularly in my country, but works quite well. And secondly, the principle of equality before the law. It's a very strong principle, stronger in France than anywhere than, than in either, any other democracy. Let me to try to illustrate this hypothesis, quote you uh, one of the founders of the American political science, whose name was Francis Lieber. He was a, originally a German Prussian refugee in the US and ended as the first professor of political science at Columbia University in New York City. His best friend was a senator of Massachusetts, Charles Sumner, who was a hero of anti-slavery in the Senate. They were the best friend, but they were diverging in their relation to France and Germany. Lieber was a proud of his Prussian origin, and Sumner was a francophile and a francophone uh, who has traveled to France and very often. And after the victory of the Prussian Empire against France in 1871, they diverged on the uh, outcome of the war. And here what uh, Lieber writes to Sumner, his friend Sumner, in a, the spring of 1872. 
I have received this day from Berlin a call to collect money among the German in America for a Bismarck Foundation in the University of Strasbourg. I shall send some money and be done with I suppose. The German government is evidently bent on making Strasbourg a first-rate university, which means something. The French neglected it shamefully, but they neglected and neglect everything except Paris. And here again I come to my old question. What is it that makes the French the only people who can convert conquered people? They receive no benefit from France. Yet they speak for France. Germans, English, Americans, no one can do it. What is it? And my hypothesis is that Sumner had some I, I didn't find the answer of Sumner in the letter. But I think he had an answer, in, he could have an answer in mind, as he has battled in the Senate for the introduction in the American Constitution of one article of the French Declaration of Human Rights about the equality before the law, which was not included, which was not part of the American Declaration, because he was telling and writing that for him, the principle of equality before the law were the main, was the main human right, among the others. And if you come back to the situation of the German in Strasbourg, what was the storytelling? That after the attachment of Alsace to the Prussian Empire in 1871, despite all the money the German government was putting in, in Strasbourg, the people of Strasbourg continued to feel French. Despite, that the, the, despite the fact that the French has done nothing for them for years. So why did they feel French in that situation? It is that under the French kingdom and then after under the French Republic, their territory under the French kingdom and their person under the French Republic were equal to the Parisian. They were equal, they were the same, they were equal before the king and they were equal before the law after the French Revolution. As under the, the Prussian Empire, they were a colony. They were a colony with not, with not the same statute than Prussia. They were colonized, a, a, a colonial territory, and so they preferred the status of equality and that is, I think, a strong illustration of what has brought the diversity of the French territory from the north to the south all together within the French Kingdom and then within the French Republic, making a very diverse populations. Now, if it's a so strong and let me add something here. This principle of equality has had big effect on the Jews after the revolution. The Jews, the French Revolution was made the France the first country who gave the Jews totally full equality uh, as citizens. Of course, uh, this principle was attacked 
was attacked by anti-Semites. And, uh, for example, the Dreyfus Affair illustrates the strengths of anti-Semites in France at the end of the 19th century. But contrary to what, of what I hear often in the US, when I was raised as a French Jew by my parents and grandparents, and for my grandparents, who almost has lived the time of the Dreyfus Affair, or the, for them, the Dreyfus Affair was a symbol of justice and equality before the law within the French Republic. Because of course it, start, it started with injustice, that a poor, innocent Jew was condemned and almost killed by his condemnation and his, his sending to the island of, of, of Guyana. But then after a battle for this poor Jew, at that time the Jew represented less than 1% or around 1% of the French population. And yet half of the country mobilized itself for this guy and win the battle against the army, against the Catholic Church. And at the end, these two big institutions are defeated in front of the court and politically. And so, for the Jews of France, the Dreyfus Affair is a symbol that at the end, like in many historic Torah, it starts badly, but it ends well. In the interwar period, we had the Prime Minister, Leon Blum, who was the chief of the government, the highest politician in the country, at a time where Jews were not were forbidden to enter some universities, some clubs in the United States. So you had that paradoxical situation where at the same time you had a strong antisemitism in France at, in the interwar period, but the Republican anti-army, anti-Catholic, were not at all anti-Semite and had elected a Jew as their chief. And he became the prime minister of a left-wing government. And so, the, the Jews of France could identify themselves very well with the French Republic, who has given them rights, and even the highest rights, because you could be a Jew. Even if you were facing antisemitism by some groups, these groups were also attacking the Republic as a regime, and so you had a solidarity between the Jews, the Republican, the Protestant, etc. And that worked like that. It was not an easy situation, but it was a clear one. What happened then, and make the thing the story more complicated is, of course, the Vichy situation, the Vichy regime. Because at that time, Jews faced direct and radical discrimination. And what I wanted, what, what I have done to understand what has happened better, because I think comparison is always better to understand the situation, is that because I have, I have worked on the issue of nationality and citizenship, I have considered all the groups that in the French history of the last century has had to face discrimination within the law. 
Because if I say that equality before the law is so important principle, what happens when this equality before the law is broken? So it has been broken for the Jews under the Vichy regime. But if you look at citizenship law, three other groups were discriminated against in the last century. First of all, the women. The women who married foreigners. They were deprived of their citizenship. They had to shift to the citizenship of their husband. That was also the, uh, the situation of American women during 15 years, between uh, 1907 and 1920. Imagine the situation. You marry an Italian, you become Italian. You marry a Chinese, you become a Chinese. And that was the situation in French women between 1803 and 1927. And in the 20s, because we have become a very uh, important country of immigration, more than 200,000 women were born French but has become foreigners by marriage. Sometimes without knowing it and uh, willing it. And if they were civil servants, they lost their jobs. If they married an Italian, they couldn't divorce. If they married a Chinese and they would go to China with their husband, they would discover they were not the only wife. But they could not be protected by the French embassy because they had become Chinese by law. So that situation ended in 1927. Naturalized citizens also would not deserve the same rights than other citizens during a period from 1848 to 1984. They would not be able to vote or to be elected uh, or to get some job in civil service during that time. And that discrimination ended only in 1984. In the US law, you still have of provision, you cannot be president of the United States if you are a naturalized citizen. But it's, I think it's the only uh, discrimination uh, that faced a naturalized citizen. Then you have, beside the Jews, the Muslims from Algeria. Because officially, Algeria was France between 1848 and 1962. And yet, the Muslims from Algeria never got the full citizenship. They were formerly French for international law, but in terms of real statute, they were not fully French. And they had the same statute than the Jews until the Decret Crémieux of 1871 that nationalized all the Jews of Algeria. And then the foreigners who had settled in Algeria as colonists uh, also became French by uh, a nationality law that was opened to uh, their situation uh, in 1889. So, excluded from this uh, inclusion to a full citizenship where the Muslims of Algeria, only 7,000 of them would become French during the century that goes from 1865 when the, there was a, a new law that permitted their admission to full citizenship until 1962 when independence of Algeria was established. So now let's look at these four groups. 
Among these four groups, only two of them have kept a sort of uh, suffering memory of the past discrimination. Not the women, not the naturalized, but the Jews and the Muslims. So how to interpret this trace of memory, of suffering memory, uh, in the, that remains in the daily life of these two groups. First of all, one can notice that the women were only a minority of women, 200,000, but there were like uh, for 25,000, 25 million of women who didn't have the right to vote, and the right to vote became the, the first item on their agenda. And when this group of women uh, so who were split, not organized together, and who were a minority of women, became a, a large group, the discrimination ended. In, 19, in, 20, in, in, uh, in uh, 1927. The naturalized, they, it was a temporary period of discrimination after five to ten years they will become full citizens, so it was not a permanent status. So what happened that uh, make the Jews and the Muslims keep a living and painful memory of the past. A historian, Henri Rousseau, who has worked on the Vichy period, has made hypothesis. The hypothesis uh, that these Jews who cannot recover from the Vichy period, who are still speaking of Vichy permanently, suffer uh, obsessional neurosis. It's a psychoanalysis, psycho, it's, it's borrowed from psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. uh, they suffer an obsessional neurosis because they are obsessed with Vichy. They consider that the history of Vichy and the persecution of Jews are, are not enough, is not enough, is still camouflaged. There's still a lot of things has to be shown uh, that repression are not enough, recognition of, of their suffering, etc. etc. Yet, if you look at the history of Vichy history and memory, you might say that in the 1960s this history was not made, that reparation has not occurred, that memory has not been uh, emphasized, but nowadays it has happened. I mean, the history of persecution of Jews, you can still find things, but many books have been written. The history of Vichy as a leading scholar who is an American, Robert Paxton. The memory of this persecution has been, is now 
ceremony of the French state and reparation of financial reparation of the uh, action of the German and the French regime on Jewish families has occurred, especially uh, 10 years ago, under the, the auspices of a commission called Matteo So Henri Rousseau says, uh, you should now acknowledge that uh, all this recognition has occurred, uh, that uh, reparation also has occurred, and so you should now go to, uh, uh, think about the future and, 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 and get out of your obsession. How can we read this interpretation? First of all, I think also it's true to say that some Jews are really obsessed and still obsessed by Vichy. Not all, but some. And you might, the way they speak about it, you might say he's right. It's like, it looks like an obsessional neurosis, the way it is described by Freud. But then they don't go enough further on with analysis of what is an obsessional neurosis as described by Freud. Because what does Freud say about uh, obsessional neurosis? Let me quote. Evoking obsession, Freud speaks of the association of an emotional state with an idea which is not the idea related to the obsession but it is one that replaces it, a substitute for it. The replaced ideas have all have common attributes. They correspond to really distressing experiences in the subject life, which he is trying to forget. He succeeds merely in replacing an incompatible idea by another, ill-adapted, for being associated with an emotional state, which for its part remains unchanged. It is the false connection between the emotional state and the associated idea that accounts for the absurdity so characteristic of the obsession. So what Freud explained here is that if you visit a psychoanalyst because you are obsessed by a, a fact or a person, the psychoanalyst will try to find the real cause of obsession that is, not in, that is not in your discourse. If you arrive and speak about Vichy as obsessing you, obsessing you, then the role of the analyst would be to find the real cause of the obsession, which is not Vichy. So I've tried to do that. And my hypothesis is that these Jews their problem is not Vichy. Their problem is another part of French history. And this part of French history is for me, and I will try to demonstrate uh, that, what has happened when De Gaulle, in a press conference few months after the Six Day Wars, uh, 
spoke about the Jews as a people of elite, sure of themselves and dominating. This uh, statement about Jews provoked a terrible trauma, a shock, all across the Jews of France, from the most atheists, like Renoiron, to the, uh, the first rabbi, uh, all Jews reacted as being wounded by this statement that sounds like a condemnation and an abandonment of the Jews. And that made them, and this abandonment, made them come back to an abandonment they had felt 20 years earlier with the Vichy regime. The problem was that De Gaulle was a figure that you cannot attack. It's an intact, he was the father of the nation, he was the leader of the French resistance. He had among the among the the resistance were Jews. The place of the goal in relation to Jewish identity shift from the father well, the father who was protecting become the father who has abandoned you. An example. Imagine you are a child. You come home from school and tell your father that your sworn enemy has beaten you up. And some hours later, your father replies, not the gesture, but the words of his sworn enemy, and claims you are wrong. What would wound you the most? The physical attack of this enemy or the wounding words of your father, who has not understood your anguish? and who has abandoned you. And it is what happened to the, to the Jews of France. For the Jews of France, the feeling of abandonment or incomprehension by the Jews produced an intensification of the trauma which revived the Vichy prosecution in an inexplicable connection. Vichy was an, the enemy, the historical enemy, the expected enemy, because antisemitism had been a powerful political ideology but a provisionally victorious enemy carried in the baggage of the Nazi victory. But the goal was a protecting father, the son of the nation, the admirable man, but the intouchable hero. And it was so intouchable that attacking the goal after these words would risk the aggravation of the accusation of double allegiance, already uttered in the course of the Six-Day War against which a response was difficult, since the solidarity of the state of Israel seems at the same time obvious for the Jews of France, but sometimes would question their, lo their loyalty or their affiliation with France for the, for the non-Jews. And so, as the goal was inattackable, the shift of anger of 
claim a cure towards Vichy. You can attack Vichy effectively, nobody would defend Vichy. You cannot face a critical opportunity. And so, for me, the Jewish malaise, the feeling of un being un in uncomfortable situation, being a French Jew and yet feeling great, uh, having great feeling toward Israel, came from that moment. And a way of dealing with it was becoming obsessed with Vichy, as you could not be obsessed with the Gaulle, and as, if you look at what was reproached to Vichy, you can really reproach it to the De Gaulle. The De Gaulle archives are not open, you cannot ask for reparation, you cannot uh, uh, criticize him, etc. And, uh, and the truth is not very well known about the history of the world because it's, a, it's not a ground for, yet for history. So what I want here to, to if, if I want to uh, sum up what I want to demonstrate here is that it's, a second, it's not the first trauma, the Vichy regime. It's a second one, it's a second traumatic uh, wound that has created by putting back the Jews to their past situation, the malaise they are feeling in the French Republic. Now, to be very rapid, you can find the same kind of structure with the Muslim of Algeria. As I told you, the Muslim of Algeria were discriminated against during the whole period of the colonial era. Then, after 1962, when Algeria became independent, they were in a normal status in a French uh, territory. Until the 1980s, where some uh, right-wing forces want to change the nationality law, claiming that Muslim, especially Algerian, uh, young Algerian, would not be so faithful to France and should be asked some special uh, procedure as to become French, a special procedure that would that didn't exist for the children of foreigners of the previous um, immigration waves of the century. The law was changed in 1993, and based on that law, the children of foreigners had to, when they were born in France, had to claim their citizenship around their majority, and it was not anymore an automatic accession. The wound these children of Algerians perceived when the law was passed was incredibly higher than the real effect of the law, who are not touching them particularly because as children of Algerians, they would many times be French at birth, for reasons I can explain later. So how do we explain that they felt this wound so badly as a break with their affiliation to French citizenry. For my opinion, in my opinion, it is that without knowing it, the French Parliament passed a bill that would make this young Algerian come back to the situation of their 
grandparents in colonial era. Because during the colonial era, their grandparents were formerly French, but if they wanted to become French, they had to go through a claim in front of the court or in front of the administrative authority. Exactly the same kind of procedure they were asked to do under the law of 1993. So this new provision that was restricting the, their access to citizenship was making them come back symbolically to the status of their grandparents. And it is that double trauma that provoked the break of affiliation between this young Muslim and the French state. Now, let me try to go back to what I said at the beginning. To explain the Jewish malaise, of course, you have the facts, some attacks on Jews. But if the attacks occur, if you look at the context I described, the context is more favorable for the Jews in France than it is in the UK or in Spain, as a, if you look at the general public attitude. But if it occurs in the context when many Jews feel uncomfortable with the French politics and policy since the war, then any attack, any incident involving one to ten person become very uh, sensitive for a group of people who have become very sensitive because uh, the goal has made them uh, very uh, sensitive to their uh, for their stability within the French society. Our new president, Mr. Sarkozy, what has he done against uh, some attack? Not more than the others did. But what, what has he done towards the Franco-Israeli relation? More than the others. And I think that what, what he has done on this issue has had the effect of creating an atmosphere among the Jews of France, which is much more secure, much more relaxed, which means that now, for example, uh, two weeks ago, there was a sort of remake of this uh, young Jew who was, uh, he escaped after six hours of uh, bad treatment, I would say. Two years ago, it would have become the event, etc. That day, last two hours on the website of a newspaper, and nobody spoke too much about it. Because I think that the, <coughs> the attitude of the new president toward Israel, uh, his claim of friendship and acceptation of, uh, and, his, and his valorization of being a Jew, a French Jew, and being feeling, having a good, uh, strong feeling toward Israel as, as 
making no problem, uh, I think has created a, a, an atmosphere of confidence that was not existing previously. And if my interpretation is good, then it reinforces the hypothesis I've tried to, to, to defend in front of you. Thanks. situation that he has shifted the traditional British policy and he has encouraged and developed citizenship policy you know, on a real uh, kind of Republican model, you know, learning more the language, language changing, uh, creating uh, Britishness, etc., trying to emphasize a ground of unity uh, beside diversity. And so he would not have done that if he was not afraid of the kind of data uh, that I just produced. Because if uh, you are right saying that probably the values and the models that are, that are diffused at school and at the local levels are different. But you have many politicians in France who say our model doesn't work anymore. And I answer, no, our model doesn't work very well in, in the term of cultural integration. It doesn't work anymore on discrimination. We are not, our, our tools are not adapted to face the discrimination minorities are facing on the labor market, on the housing market. But all the data that has been brought, not by French uh, institutions, but by American or British uh, data collection, show that we are very good well. We are not 100% successful, but we are much, much more successful than other countries. And let me tell you something here. Many countries, including the UK, when they had to deal with inclusion of minority, what did they do? They came to the US and said, let's do what the US are doing. But I think they didn't speak to the good person. <laughs> I mean, or the person who told them about the US didn't tell them the whole story. 
many academics speak about the model of diversity in the US. They don't speak about the tool of assimilation also in the US. The US, you have Pledge of Allegiance, Salute to the Flag, uh, uh, national anthems, uh, local uh, sports, competition, etc. That are tools of unification of, of, of a country. That, that doesn't exist in, the, in many European countries because if you propose that, something to the flag, people will say you are a fascist. And, and so many uh, people, when they present the US model, they don't speak about the dimension of the, of the US model that is the dimension of unity, of assimilation, which balance the, the, the emphasis on diversity. And so, because it's only the picture of diversity that is sometimes uh, presented to introduce the US tradition, some European countries say, okay, let's do the same. And they have forgotten the dimension of unity. That has been a big issue since the US were created. And, 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 and it's still an issue debated in the US. And so, uh, I would say that the French uh, forget, for, uh, didn't uh, don't deal very well with diversity. I mean, they have the tools to do it. It is what I have tried to show in my uh, recent uh, research and my books. We have the tools. We, we the, the, our secularist system is totally open to diversity. Let me um, mention. You know, we have a famous law of separation of church and state, 1905. It's so a liberal law that under this new law, what has happened for the Jews of France? Except the one depending on the constitution. After 1905, freedom, total freedom, equality of all faiths, every Jewish group created their own synagogue. The German, the Poles, the liberal, the conservative, the traditional, everybody. And now it's, uh, that's based on the law of 1905. And it's totally forgotten. You should not read the law. Just through the article you, you have about the head of the law of 1905 is extremely liberal towards every faith. And I, I, for example, I have a grandfather who was a very religious Jew from German origin. He built a synagogue in the 30s based on the law that authorized him to do it. And so, uh, Oh, but that is even forgotten by the French. They don't know how to read their own law. And, 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 and they don't know how to interpret it. And so we, we, we have this tradition that is very tolerant towards diversity. For example, contrary to the US and like the UK, we have always accepted dual citizenship. There is no pledge of allegiance to our France in the uh, 
when you are naturalized, you can keep your citizenship of origin since ever. That's very liberal. And, and, and yet, we don't emphasize that liberalism. We, we just introduce ourselves sometimes as this Republican, you know, Unitarian, Jacobin, but it's not the reality of the, of the law and even of the practices. by the topic, there is a book recently published by a young colleague, we were just discussing it, Laurent Joly, about the history of the Commissariat General de Question Juive, who was the body who was created by Vichy as to wrong the Jews, as to deport them, as to deprive them of their property, etc. And he has totally reorganized the chronology and the policy of the Vichy regime and, uh, against a lot of uh, older, I would say, scholars. And I personally totally agree with his approach that we put Vichy on the higher responsibility because he showed that the real shift toward an active antisemitism of deportation start very early in January 1941 with Amiral Darlan negotiating so, uh, uh, the stabilization of his position as a Prime Minister of Pétain against the deportation of Jews. But the deal with the German, you might have heard of it, the deal is I, give, I will give you all the farmers. I want you to let, to let me protect the French and give you all the foreigners. And then, under that deal, the, the naturalized become a, a big issue because the naturalized can be denaturalized under some Vichy law that has been borrowed from the German land, <coughs> from the Nazi regime. So it's a, it's a very complex story. You cannot say they have been, uh, no. They have been negotiating with the Nazi, they have been participating to the show, to the industry of the Shoah I mean, to the deportation. They, but they have, you know, they have uh, made deals, they have... Uh, uh, you cannot say they have been... Uh, uh, they have been... Uh, 
the what I think is that uh, let, me, let me tell you frankly I am myself in France and in many European countries 
And we tried to, to base action of the prisons based on, form of, 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 on historical discrimination. But it is, it is, I think, a good approach that we have to get out of the, of the suffering, if it's possible, of course, and go to the future, to the present, with the values uh, that are the key to resist uh, uh, the coming back of the terrible uh, part of history the Jews faced in the 40s. Hello, and then... Yeah, I uh, want to take you more to uh, current times. Yeah. Um, I would say around uh, five years ago, there uh, the riots, uh, mainly uh, tensions between uh, Muslims and Jews. Uh, they were uh, reported in the media, and through that, there was a big influence of uh, Jewish uh, immigrants going to Israel and to the U.S. So, you had a rise of Jewish immigration to Israel, for example. Let's you know the numbers. You know the numbers? I think the numbers was the rise from 1,500 to 3,000. You know that they actually affected the real estate market in Israel dramatically? No, let me, let me add something. It's not because Father bought a property after the war of 1967 in Germany. going there, but he was living there once, one week per year. And he had he has his apartment, he wanted to have it. It's not because you have a property that you move. You want sometimes to have a property to be sure that if anything happens, you can move there. Okay? So, that's my first remark. My second remark, my second remark is about what you say, the memory, and I think a good point, something I've not mentioned. There is a common history uh, of Arab and Jews, where? In Algeria. And what? No, but especially in Algeria, in Morocco, in Tunisia, but in Algeria it's very special. Because in Algeria, for the Arab Muslims, the Jews had a favorable status. They were the Dimis minority under the Turkish, before the French colonization, and with the French they become full French. So they were always a sort of tension, uh, sometimes uh, teased 
biodiversity, people, etc., etc. So I do deny that there was, uh, there, there, there is a potential of tension, but I must tell you, also the big riots were not between the Jews and the Arabs. The big riots were between the Arabs and blacks, mainly, and the police. The Jews were not part of this riots you see on the television. There was no, the, the, the tension was more uh, towards the small, Incidents that became very uh, creating a lot of fear, but there was not big rights. And for the rest, uh, you know, uh, we, we what I what I uh, tell you is that for what I get uh, is that uh, the the best. Since the arrival of Sarkozy at the presidency, among the Jews are afraid, and you are still in France. And you have more and more Jews who are commuting, I would say, between France and Israel. But uh, <coughs> I mentioned part of my family, for example, they moved in 1968, after the war of 1967. And now they are much more commuting on the other side of the like. So I think some American, some Jewish American, Israeli American, who have, whose parents have moved uh, 30 years ago, the children are Israelis, and now they go back in force, etc. So you have this transnational phenomenon that exists not only between Israel and France, but also between France and Algeria and Tunisia and Turkey, etc. And I recently participated to a, a conference uh, with a very official, with the ambassador, minister, etc. Uh, about you know, the project of Mediterranean Union, including Turkey, Israel, uh, uh, Lebanon, etc., and uh, all North African countries. And the reality now that you have millions of people uh, along the Mediterranean Sea who have dual or triple citizenship and who can circulate. For example, you have more, more Moroccan Jews who have Moroccan citizenship, uh, French and the Israeli, and across the three countries. So, to, to end my answer, I must say that. We don't know what is the future about, uh, but I like my country in the way it is now. I mean, the challenge we have to face to be a model of tolerance and separation is a split diversity. powerful 
they have been forced to leave their country. Sometimes more Jews have lived after 67 because of the struggle they were facing, living in Morocco or Tunisia. Uh, Algerian Jews also have been forced to leave their country of, you know, where they were living since generations before the people of the Arabs in, the, in, in Algeria. So I think it's a difference of history. And uh, as I was mentioning to you, one should not forget that so, what some people called the old antisemitism, I mean the antisemitism from the white, uh, Catholic, uh, white people, still exist. And myself, you know, my name is really no, I cannot tell you that I am a Jew. Vi is the most common Jew in, in France. Uh, I am a specialist of who are who are the immigrants in France. Also the Jews, many Arabs, many Muslims, many blacks, etc. So I am dealing with people who know immediately when they read my name that they are a Jew. And I must say that since the last 30 years I've been active in that field also for 25 years, I have faced, not many times, but the few times I faced anti-Semitism or words, etc., was more for the old anti-Semitism than for anti-Semitism coming from Arabs or Black. And that is not too much anymore. Exists strongly. But you know, when you look at the data, I always want to come back to that. All data shows that you have 9% of the population who, when they answer to some question, it shows that they are antisemites or they have some antisemitic feeling. I think in the interwar period, there were about 40. When, when Leon Blum became a prime minister, the leader of the opposition who spoke in the parliament against Leon Blum becoming prime minister started his speech saying, for the first time in its history, this whole country will be run by a Jew. And he spoke and he was applauded frenetically on the right side of the parliament. And he received hundreds of letters of congratulation of French citizens. That was in 1936. So I think, you know, antisemitism and racism will always exist. The problem is at which level and among human beings. What you can hope is its marginalization and victory of the value of respect and universal universalism. But the hope of
Nietzsche or those issues. I would not be worried about the fall from Marx in 1967. I wouldn't be worried about the attacks taking place against French Jews. But what I would be worried about is the numbers that you gave in the beginning, although most French Muslims appear to be being Frenchmen more than being Muslims, I think there's a, um, still a sizable minority who are a, a source of concern. And when, when you view them in the international context, I think it's reasonable to presuppose that a large percentage of these are coming under the grip of Muslim extremist ideology. And that, that the question that would bother me is not can we get rid of the vestiges of anti-Semitism that you were just talking about, but rather is what if you're wrong about the ability of France to absorb this group? What if this group continues to grow? Then you'll have a large minority um, from which will come terrorist attacks, the threat of terrorist attacks, and an ability to keep France from addressing issues concerning Israel and Jews living in France um, very, very fairly. It will also lead to an increase in the number of physical attacks. So it's a question not of vestiges from the past, but rather this increasingly radicalized um, minority with a high birth rate. And, and again, what if you're wrong? That's where sort of my concern would be coming from. Okay, that's one, one easy question. Well, my question probably should have been asked much earlier because it was on the basis of the, um, the, oh, the four groups that you were talking yeah. about with the where I had an, uh, a little bit of a problem. I, Jews were as well off in France as you seem to be depicting to me. I think I, I felt there was a lot more anti-Semitism. But I questioned the neuroticism you talked about. And if you took away Paul's speech, don't you think that the Jews in France would still be a portion that would be feeling this anxiety, if not neuroticism, that you're blaming an awful lot on the my basic question was, I thought there was a lot to the Vichy government to perhaps blame some of the people. And one more question than you could. Uh, it comes along with it. I had the impression, because I was living in New York about five years ago, that part of the problem was the failure of a number of governments to acknowledge that there was an including Chirac and France. And I was wondering if you assume that you're correct that this is obsession and I would question your interpretation of and I would advise you maybe to revise the view of, of obsession as far as from the but let us assume that that is it. I think that you might have to think also of trying to explain from that point of view if I can see the, the same obsession Civil War in Spain, who would never agree to the other side. I see of the immigrants from Cuba here that would never forgive Castro. I would see <coughs> people who were Pinochet, who were either for Pinochet or so. Do you might have to think about a mechanism similar because it's a phenomenon. Yeah, I can give you. That I would say, 20 years ago, the US government would say, 
now we are going to become friends, Castro and all these emigrates. We don't care anymore about them. They are creating trouble between Cuba and us. We are going to let them. What do you think they would feel? It would be terrible. They would have the obsession. Oh, they would be traumatized. But, 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 but then I would be traumatized, like I, I mentioned in my article, like the Archie, the one Algerian who fought with the French army and who were abandoned by the Gaulle. And almost the majority of them were killed by the nationalist Algerian nationalists, and very few of them were saved by the French army against the order of the Gaulle. But what I, what I, my point was that maybe it's not obsession. Exactly. It's what? not obsessive. It's an adequate reaction. Because if you, if you're in the way that if you are abandoned by the U.S. government, the Russian reaction is to attack the, the, the U.S. government for their attitude, to criticize them. If you cannot do it, because the, these people are fighting for the French army, they cannot attack the war because the goal is to attack in the 60s, etc. Come back to an Algerian identity because they are treated well. They became crazy, you know. It's not neurotic in that case. It's more. It's much more serious. Neurotic. Many of us. So we can continue the discussion. But I think I can define my point of view on that. But. about the goal. What can I do as an historian? I look at the reaction to the goal speech. If you go back to the reaction, the number of reactions, the, the strength of it, you cannot imagine. It's like that if it, if it clapped, if the Cuban have been abandoned by the suddenly the goal was the protector of the Jews abandoned them. I don't say that we should, of course, to, to, uh, rationally, people the same than uh, a real persecution. But in terms of psychology, collective impact, in terms of collective identity, etc., I can tell you it has had a, it has had a big impact. Among the Jews coming from North Africa, I've not studied it particularly, but I can tell you. Like by that, because they already thought the goal was a victim. because he was elected, he came back to power in 1958. Uh, people believe that he kept Algeria, he kept Algeria to France, and then all these people, including the Jews, leave their home within weeks. I think, considering the own, the own history for the uh, Jewish people coming from uh, Algeria, Tunisia, and Morocco, certain treason of the goal, as we could say, uh, makes them very uncomfortable. 
question about did, uh, were the French authorities late in recognition? Yes, I think so. Uh, I, must, uh, I know that for some uh, leaders, and including you know, every serious and fair Jewish leader, that in the daily life, Black French in terms of perception of discrimination is, of course, much more difficult than that of a French Jew. So, for the public authority who knows that, especially on the left, you know, there is this idea that people who suffer discrimination cannot be themselves racist. But in fact, it's not true. But for them, it was like a sort of uh, uh, ideal belief that they took, they took time before recognizing it. I think it's true. And now the first question about uh, the risk of First of all, uh, we have been facing fundamentalism and a terrorist attack before the United States. Attack by terrorist groups since the 1980s. In the 1980s, in the middle of the 1990s, and we have reacted, we have reacted very strongly, but, but quite efficiently, because since 1995, despite the fact that we have the largest Muslim community in Europe, we don't have any terrorists. That we are change our law and created a uh, judicial process Secondly, uh, I would say that uh, contrary to the UK, we do welcome all the fundamentalist uh, religious uh, thinking that uh, because we will welcome them, they will not We deported them uh, as, as much as we could uh, legally. And I think it has been quite efficient. But Khomeini was a So you have a really tough, tough control of uh, any fundamentalist groups. Uh, now, I must say, you, you might be right. I mean, I remember that uh, some uh, very small can influence uh, 
larger group, part of the group. I think the key here is to respect or to give equal opportunities to everybody uh, to respect their face, but to, res to make them respect. parents. Palestinian conflict. And the guy said, What? It's not in the program, of course. And the professor says, Yes, but your name is. Uh, you might have Jewish students. Why do you talk to me about that? You would not tell another French. the origin of the first. And at some other in some other context you have to respect the difference of the person. Religious festival, people stop working, etc. So that is a training. At some moment background than yours. And that is not done yet in my country. Thank you. 